begin a new series that we're going to be doing on Sunday mornings for a period of time. It's going to be entitled Relationships, Ask the Experts. We're not having Dr. Phil come in, just in case you're wondering, or Oprah. I am making no claims to being an expert on it, but I do know where we can find expert advice. I do know something about the one who created us and who designed us. And he knows the most deepest intricacies of our minds and of our hearts. When you and I listen to his word, when you pay attention to his word, sometimes the things God asks us to do sometimes seem kind of goofy. They seem kind of foolish. You think, well, why should I even bother doing that? But when you and I listen to the word of God, it will lead us into all truth. It will open up doors for us. It will protect us. It will guard us. Would you just look real quick at Psalms chapter 139? The psalmist talked about his relationship with God, and he talked about the Lord and the Lord's understanding of him. He said this, He said, Psalms 139, starting at verse 1, he said, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me, and the light become light night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Look at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, They would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Now the psalmist is writing about God's in-depth and personal knowledge about everything about him. God knows when he stands up. God knows when he sits down. He says that God knows the words that he's going to speak even before they come to his lips. 
That God discerns the thoughts and the intents of this heart. And he says, where can I go from God's presence? Everywhere I go, God is there. And if I try to hide from him in the darkest place, even in the darkest place, it's like light to him. He sees me. And then I really like what he says at the end. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. The psalmist says, God, you've been thinking about me from the foundations of time. You've been having thoughts about me, and your thoughts towards me, they're precious, they're good, and they're more, you have more thoughts about me than the sand that's on the seashore. God's got a lot of plans from you. So you think if the first thing doesn't work out in your life, you think if one thing doesn't go right, that God doesn't have other plans for you, that he doesn't have other thoughts towards you. He says, how precious are your thoughts towards me? If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand on the seashore. Now we're talking today, our overall series is going to be this idea of relationships, asking the expert. Today we're going to talk about relationships Look to the person next to you and say, hey, who needs them? Where are we going to start at? We're going to start at the beginning. Okay? We're going to start our series at the very beginning. Where is the very beginning? Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're not going to take the time to go back and read there, but I would encourage you to do that because of time. We'll see that mankind was designed for relationship. Even in the very beginning, you go home and you read it when we're done, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you will find that mankind was designed for relationship. Mankind is distinct from all other parts of creation. Do you know why? Because it says that man was created in the image and in the likeness of God. Man is distinct from the birds of the air, from the clouds in the sky. Man is distinct from the apes and the monkeys. Man is distinct from the smallest molecules, from gold and silver, because man was created in the image and the likeness of God. Man was designed to rule. He was designed to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth and over all of creation. He was designed for relationship. Now the Bible tells us this, that God formed man from the dust of the earth and that he breathed into him the breath of life. God placed Adam in this perfect environment. Don't you wish that you could live in a perfect environment? Some days it would be nice. You're thinking it would be nice if this was a little better situation that I'm in. But man was placed in a perfect environment called the Garden of Eden, where every single need that he had was provided for. Food was there for him to eat. All he had to do was reach out and take it. God gave him physical responsibilities to work the garden and to care for it. God gave Adam intellectual stimulus And challenges when he tasked him with naming each of the animals. The scripture tells us, lets us know that that it was God's custom to do what in the cool of the day? With who? 
with Adam. It was God's custom in the cool of the day to come and walk in fellowship with Adam. That was his custom. Each day of creation, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, each day that God created something, at the end of the day, what would he do? He would look at it and he would say, this is good. Do you remember that? Every day when God finished his work, he looked at what he created and he said, this is good. Remember, he made light and separated the light from the darkness. And he said, it's good. He separated the sea from dry ground. And he said, it's good. He made the plants and he said, it's good. He made the fish and the birds and he said, it's good. He made the animals and he said that it was good. Do you know the only time in Genesis 1 and 2 when God said it's not good? When was that? That man would be alone. That's the only time you read. It's kind of ironic. Everything God created, he's like, this is good. Wow, this is good. Every day, whenever he was finished, he said it's good. There was only time, one time in all creation when God said it's not good. And he says, it's not good for this person to be alone. This is not about marriage today. Okay, this is about relationships. Because if I would teach you about marriage, then all of you who are single would be like, well, I'm not going to church for the next six weeks. (laughs) Some of you who wish you weren't married would say, I'm not going to church for the next six weeks. God said, everything he created, and whenever he was done, he was saying it was good. But when he saw Adam there, he said, it's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. I want you to think about this. It's not enough to have the physical responsibilities of an occupation. Adam had, listen, he had everything. He was living in a utopia. Things were perfect. It's not enough just to have an occupation. Adam had an occupation. He had a job. His job was to care for and to tend the garden. He was to rule over it and oversee it. It wasn't enough. It's not enough to have intellectual stimulus and intellectual challenges because Adam had intellectual challenges. Can you imagine trying to name each of the animals? And like, you don't have anything to name it off of. I mean, he had to be a creative guy. Every animal God bought before him, whatever Adam named him, the Bible says that was its name. So he had this intellectual challenge. It's not enough to have your physical needs met for shelter and for clothing because, well, obviously he didn't have clothing. He was naked, but there was no one else around. And let's move on from that one. It's not enough to have your physical needs met that he was able to eat, that he had water and he had, that his physical needs were taken care of. It's not even enough to make your home in a beautiful paradise. Like, do any of you ever kind of like dream of like, wouldn't it be nice? Do you ever watch that HGTV and see them buying homes, like they buy a home in some tropical place. You think, man, that'd be kind of cool, like right on the beach or in a jungle somewhere. And you're like, wow, that would be cool. It wasn't even enough to live in a perfect garden, a beautiful paradise. Some of you like your dogs and your cats and your fish and all that kind of stuff. It's not enough to be surrounded by the beauty of nature and animals. And this one's going to challenge your theology. But before you throw stones at me and cast me out as a false prophet, 
it wasn't even enough that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Adam had fellowship with God. But God said, I've created you for relationship. It's not good that man would be alone. Adam had fellowship with God. God breathed his very spirit and his very life into his nostrils. But God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Mankind, you and I were created for meaningful relationships. Relationships with our creator, but also relationships with other human beings. As much as we don't like to admit it sometimes, because it's something that's vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable to think that we need other people, that I really do need friends. I really do need people who care. And sometimes I know that the military promotes an army of one. An army of one gets killed. You know what I mean? Like we create and we kind of promote this image in our society today of being so independent of others. If nobody else is speaking in your life, you're really not going to grow very much. If there's no one else for you to share the things that you have experienced and learned, you're not going to make much of a difference in life. Have you ever heard the term failure to thrive? babies. I'm not the expert on that, but it just kind of goes to show us that we're designed for relationships. You can take a baby that's born and you can meet all of its physical needs. You can clothe it. You can change its diaper. You can give it medical treatment. You can bathe it and feed it and, and let it stay in a right temperature. It will fail to thrive. It won't develop properly. At times, they say that babies can even die because they were created. They need nurturing. They need someone to touch it. They need someone to hold him or her. They need someone to interact with them. They need someone to talk to them. They need someone to be involved. And if you've ever been to an orphanage in a third world country or even in Mexico or someplace like that, and you see the babies that are just laying there and nobody, they don't have the time, they feed them bottles and they change your diapers, but they don't have anybody. The resources are stretched so thin that there's no one there to hold them and to care for them. It breaks your heart. You know that they're saying this, studies are even showing now that among senior citizens in the convalescent homes, what happens is they're finding this idea of failure to thrive in convalescent homes where people's physical needs are met, but the interaction with people and the relationships is not met. They just come in and set you in your chair. Or, and what happens is the people begin to deteriorate. They find the same symptoms in senior citizens that they find in babies, this failure to thrive. For babies, once again, if they're not nurtured, they fail to develop properly. At times, they will even become sociopaths. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Verse 9. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. 
If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. If two die together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon's experience. You know, Solomon would write about things that he saw. In verse 8, he talks about a man who was just, he, he didn't have a brothers, he didn't have family. And all he did was work. He amassed great wealth. But then there came to a point to him, he says, why am I doing this? I have all of this success. I have all of these accomplishments, but I don't have anybody to share it with. What good does it do? It's useless. In verse 9, Solomon's experience with an independent man perhaps caused him to consider the importance of friendship and the value of people doing things together. Perhaps he watched a lonely pilgrim on the highway and drew the conclusion that two are better than one. Two are certainly better than one when it comes to working. Two workers can get more done. Even if they divide the profits, they still get better return for their efforts than if they worked alone. Also, it makes it easier to do difficult jobs together because you have someone there to encourage you, to prod you on. Do you ever notice that when you're working with someone else, that the time seems to go faster? The load seems to be easier. It doesn't seem near as much drudgery to be alone. Two are better than one when it comes to walking in verse 10. We understand that roads in Palestine would not have been paved or even leveled. There would have been rocks along the path and it wasn't uncommon for people to stumble and fall and perhaps break a bone or fall into a pit. How wonderful it is to have a friend who can help you up. And how many of you remember the commercial that used to be on TV all the time? I always got a chuckle out of it. You know the one I'm talking about. The little old lady. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. You know, it's kind of funny until it's like your grandma. You know what I mean? It's amazing though how many times from a spiritual sense people fall and They've not built the relationships. They don't have the friendships. They don't have the closeness. And so when they fall, there's nobody there to pick them up. In fact, there's nobody even for them to yell to. If he's saying it's true in a physical sense, how much more is it true in a spiritual sense that sometimes we're going to stumble? Sometimes we're stumbling and someone grab you and hold on to you. What a difference it makes. Sometimes there's times when you're just too tired to go on and and someone in a spiritual sense is there to walk with you. Sometimes we're about ready to turn around and go the other way. And we need someone to talk us down. But if you don't have a friend, if you don't have relationships, who's there to help you when you fall? Who's there to help you get back up? Two are better than one when it comes to warmth, according to the scripture. Back in the day... They would camp out. They, when they traveled, they did not have... They didn't have embassy suites. They didn't have the Hilton. When you traveled, you would rely upon the generosity of strangers. At times, they would camp out or stay in a courtyard of a public inn outside. 
they'd feel the cold of the night and needed something or some person who's there to keep them warm. And the principle would have been that they would have, other way to stay warm would be to carry more blankets, which back then they didn't have many blankets. They wouldn't have had a lot of that. It's not like going down to Walmart and buying extra blankets or a comforter for their bed. They'd have to carry this extra load, this extra burden. Finally, two are better than one when it comes to watching. It says, though one be overpowered, two can defend themselves. It was dangerous back in those days. It was dangerous for anyone to travel. And that's why the story of the Good Samaritan wasn't something that was uncommon. When Jesus told him about the man who fell among thieves, that would have been a common practice. That would have been something that happened often in their day, that in traveling, there would be people who would watch out for people traveling. And he says if they're traveling by themselves, alone would have been dangerous. It would have been dangerous. If you traveled with two people, it was a little safer. But if you traveled with three or four, it was safer even yet. Even King David, I thought of this, even King David, as great of a warrior as he was, needed someone to step in and protect him. Do you remember the story whenever David was fighting the Philistines and he was exhausted and there was this guy who came after him and one of David's men, Abishai, came to David's rescue. The guy had David in his sights. This in 2 Samuel. The guy had David in his sights and David was tired and this man came after him and Abishai came in and intervened and protected David and actually saved his life. I wonder how many times in our lives that things, that we'd be protected from falls if we let other people into our lives. I wonder how many lives that have been shipwrecked because people chose to go it alone. I'm going to tell you this. For you to fall, for you to fall spiritually, oftentimes you have to separate yourself from the body of Christ, from other believers. Oh, no, pastor, I can fall pretty quick. I know that we can fall quickly. But I'm just telling you, what you'll find is that when people are walking close to God, the ironic thing for me as a pastor When people are seeking God and following after God and wanting to grow in their relationship with God, a lot of times they want to be around me. Then there's other times when people start to go another direction, they want to avoid me. And I'm like, how did I change? Did I say something? Did I do something? Can I tell you what it is? To some were the realm of life and to others were the realm of death. See, what you'll find is that you have Christian friends who when they start going another direction, They're going to want to separate themselves from you. Why? Because your life is conviction to them. If you feel more comfortable, if you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be hanging around other Christians, whenever people get to that point where all the other Christians are this and that, it's usually a pretty good indication that something is awry in your life. It's usually like a red flag. Something's not square. Something's not sitting right. Finally, Solomon started with the number one. He said there was a man all alone. Then he moved to two. He said two are better than one. Then he moved to three. He said a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Solomon had more than numbers in mind. 
He was thinking about the unity that's involved as three cords were woven together. And what an image of relationship that God has designed. Now, I'm going to close with this. Relationships. Who needs them? The scriptures that we read to you from Psalms chapter 139. What we read to you from Ephesiastes. That two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. What we've spoken today, what does it mean? All that I've talked, what does it mean? I think it means that you and I really do need relationships. As much as we don't like to admit it. And what are you going to do about it? If you found out today, if you've heard today that you need relationships, that you need other people, that you weren't really designed, that God created Adam in this perfect utopia. I mean, it was perfect. God walked with him in the cool of the day. Adam had stuff to stimulate his thinking and to stimulate his mind. Adam had a job with a lot of responsibility. And it still wasn't enough. In spite of all that, God says, well, that is all great. But the thing he said it's not good about is for you to be alone. Now, this is what I want to ask you. What are you going to do about it? So what? When you go home, this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you to ask yourself, what am I supposed to do with what you presented before me today? For some, it means you're going to have to call up a friend. You're going to have to say, hey, we need to get back together. I've been really busy. And, you know, you may have to call someone and say, hey, what are you doing on Tuesdays? I don't know, maybe just Tuesday night. We just get coffee. And maybe you come over Monday night. We'll hang out and have dinner and then we'll watch some football. What is it that God's asking you to do? I can't tell you that. You've got to search that out for yourself. We have to be mature and figure out what does God want me to do with this truth that it's not good for me to be alone. That even in a perfect condition, in a perfect place, with the perfect job, with the perfect animals around me, and with God walking with me every day, Even with that, it's not good for me to be alone. It's not healthy for me. I need something more. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name as we look at the question of relationships, who needs them? Pray that you would show us, Lord, that I I need them. I need a friend to talk to. I need someone that I can share the joys with. I need someone who needs me. I need someone that I can be a blessing to. So, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears and let us do something with what we've heard from your word today. May you make us aware of our need for not just surface relationships, how you doing, but true friendships. And we'll thank you for that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.